This show is a proud member of the Nerdy Legion Podcast Network. Get more at nerdylegion.com. Enjoy the show! Alright, alright, party people in the place to be. Welcome back to Nerds from the Underground. I'm Johnny, and joining us, we have a very special brand new co-host. He's going to be part of the show from now on. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, hey, party people. I'm uh, Nalo, longtime comic reader. Took a break for about 10 years, so recently back in the scene. Um, and I'm just super excited here to talk about these amazing books we have. Comics really mean to me something that is really its own unique medium and art form. And so little books really take advantage of that beyond just entertainment, but really pushing the boundaries of what you can get out of this kind of format. And graphic vandalism has been one of my go-to places to find the best indie books that really kind of pushed the medium forward. Uh, so super happy to be here. Oh, wow, man. That actually means a lot to hear. I mean, I got so few followers, so it's nice to know that I'm at least making a smaller impact on readers that's very touching and like he said we have some really amazing books to talk about tonight we're going to be covering gideon falls from image comics and the savage shores from vault and first up like i said we have gideon falls written by jeff lemire with art by andrea sorrentino and colored by dave stewart the legend of the black barn tells of an otherworldly building that has appeared and reappeared throughout history bringing death and madness in its wake. Now its mystery ensnares and entwines the lives of two very different men. One, a young recluse, obsessed with finding the hidden clues within the city's trash. The other, a washed-up Catholic priest, finding his place in a small town that hides dark secrets. Neither of them are prepared for what's inside the black barn. From Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino, the best-selling creative team of Old Man Logan and Green Arrow, comes a character-driven meditation on obsession, mental illness, and faith right on uh so this book really just stands out to me it's one of my all-time favorite ongoings right now i think we were discussing in the prep for the show it's one of the most david lynchian twin peak style books even if i were to explain page by page the plot you'd really just have to experience it yourself for the kind of surrealism but i have to say for me what stands out the most for this book is i have a background in urban planning and architecture this is one of the most spatially driven books i've ever read everything down from the each cover has kind of a top-down city plan view in the shape of the character that will be featured and even panel by panel they do really interesting artwork of like drawing rectangles around key items that you should look at and really playing with your sense of space and time about kind of how these characters walk through the space and how they even experience it in this kind of preview the black barn is kind of this menacing force that reappears and disappears and that itself is you know architectural for me that you have this kind of building that is haunting everybody and even when you eventually do find out what happens when you go inside, kind of they really push the boundaries of how art works in terms of like disorienting you and playing with things bleeding through the panels. That's really what I enjoyed there. And this is just really uh, Jeff Lemire doing horror, but also a mystery and really just feels at the level of the HBO show for me. Uh, what about you, Johnny? Yeah, I think that what you said is very apt. I think that Andrea Sorrentino's art, and especially when he draws very hectic and panels that are made to cause anxiety, really hit home. Like Especially when you're dealing with Norton, the character who had been to the Black Barn previously and is tortured by it and is searching for it. He has these breaks in his sanity where everything kind of just goes shaky, and the way it's presented and drawn in the book, you actually feel 
feel like you are having a panic attack along with the character because the art is rendered that well. And it's just really neat to see. And also, I'm a huge fan of cosmic horror, strange fiction. I love me some Lovecraft, and I love the metaphysical, altered dimension idea of horror. And this book completely takes that, and it does its own thing. I haven't seen anybody do something this clever with it since probably Hellraiser, because the barn is not like a tentacled monster or anything. It's kind of a benign object that they just make so terrifying in this. And that's what kind of really helps hit home for me personally with it. Yeah, I agree. And definitely how they kind of reveal the history of the barn and how it's been haunting this town over time. And the fact that they really pull you into the mystery with all these kind of newspaper clippings and uh, details and these kind of, you know, crazy person plots trying to connect the dots between the barn. I also like want to shout out to this Norton character. Uh, it's really prescient and kind of ahead of the times. He's extremely paranoid, mentally unwell, but also walks around in one of these kind of uh, medical masks in N95, let's say. And these days, that's basically required for many people to even have. So uh, it really feels like in these times, if you're looking for something to read and stuck at home. And also, one of my favorite odd things about this book is the odd kind of friendship that Norton kind of starts having with this psychiatrist. Because at first, she thinks that the barn is just this construct of his mind. And she's kind of walking him through the city, trying to help him understand that it's a psychosis. You have a problem, buddy, but it's okay. We can work through it together. And slowly but surely, she becomes to believe and then she sees it herself and i thought that that was a really cool way to take the story like actually having the psychiatrist be a part of it it's really a character driven story and they do a lot to build out the characterization and they really kind of invert the psychosis relationship with the doctor kind of early on and that she becomes an ally and i just love how norton is like himself a garbage hunter and this concept that you know he can kind of tap into the rhythm of the city and the city is kind of opening up mysteries for him. If only he can like keep track of these patterns even better and better and find pieces of the black barn through the garbage. And that kind of becomes his obsession. And uh, this book just pulls in so many elements that reminds me of, you know, so many other stories that I've read but puts it together in a package like I've never seen before. And the way he almost fetishizes the pieces that he finds, because, I mean, like you said, he digs them out of the trash, but he's got this shrine, and it's just these jars, and they're pristinely kept, like prized possessions. It's it's really neat the way that they characterized him. And I love how they even show in the visual art how his apartment is set up, that it's basically not really an apartment, it's his lab. He has all this specialized equipment he purchased at thrift stores, like medical kits and microscopes. And as a a reader you can't really trust him he's a little bit unreliable so he's paranoid that people may be after him his lab gets a little messed up you don't know if you know he did it to himself or somebody really did break in and kind of keeps you on the edge of you know what's really happening here but it also kind of speaks to the other side of the story there's kind of these parallel aspects going on and there's a priest that's been sent to this Gideon Falls as well and that's really where we get a whole different element of the story that's quite different from Norton's but they seem like they're kind of on these parallel universes so to speak yeah there's definitely going to be a convergence between the two you can tell right away this first trade they don't get to meet each other but you know that that's in the future of the story and also i kind of felt a little bad in the first trade because the preacher doesn't really get too much time i wish that we got a little more time with him but you know you can only fit so much into five or six issues even visually they give a lot of clues that these worlds may collide and that when they switch from the pastor back to norton sometimes norton's actually upside down and the panel right below it so really visually telling you that these worlds are kind of not in the same realm but maybe will intersect and lays a lot of groundwork for me just how beautiful 
Sorrentino's art is in this though and, and the rendering of the characters and like you said the odd upside down panels that it's just really neat that the book can really make you feel anxious and creeped out it just really goes to show the power of a creator like Jeff Lemire that's really at the top of his game right now and he's not afraid to take anything on when I first started reading him I was reading stuff like Essex County and you know, these like heartwarming touching stories if you would have told me uh, he was going to do probably one of the creepiest esoteric horror comics that I will ever read. I'd have told you, dude, you're crazy, you know, when I was reading Essex County. But here it is, and he's just blowing my goddamn hair back with it. I don't have anything other than great things to say for this book. For me, it hits all the marks on characterization, mystery, really pushing the edge on art and visual storytelling. And it's hard to really go into it much deeper or even spoil it because it's so surreal that uh, it's just something you need to experience for yourself. Yeah, we keep kind of touching on the whole David Lynchian style about it. And there's really no other way to put it. This book really kind of hits that same kind of stride and that same esoteric plane that his works do. I didn't think people could actually pull that off on paper, like in a comic book. I figured it's like a strictly film medium, but you know, here we have a creative team that is just killing it putting it on paper. That's what I, back to my intro about what I kind of look for in the medium. It's really hard to find, but something that's actually pushing it forward and even presenting elements that is only possible to do in a comic book by playing with time and space and the visual aspect. So just pulling the best of all the worlds from novels to film. And it's really cinematic. And I also just want to stress how great the characterization is. Uh, So many books gloss over this, but we even have this kind of female lead Um, sheriff uh, or lead cop I'm not sure her title (laughs) in the Gideon Falls town and you kind of get a sense that she's a really important character she has a lot of ethics but slowly it's revealed that well you know her family is actually involved in kind of these theories about the black barn and she's actually been tied up in this in her life is in a bit of denial and we have this pastor character as well he's a beat-up drunk trying to find his way and I just think this book gives you so much to even chew off on the first volume of kind of the characters and what their lives might be like and what their motivations are in a way that it's just so rare to find these days especially within just the first trade. We're having kind of a renaissance of horror comics right now like there's just so many really good ones coming out you got like Ice Cream Man and Sink there are tons more that are very very groundbreaking in their strides and what they're pulling off and this is one that just stands right there with it maybe even a above some of them just because of how well it's put together and how well the art's done. Yeah, I'm not even a particularly a horror fan, but there's just so much great horror quality these days and pushing the medium forward that uh, it's really what I'm looking for these days, actually. Even in film and TV, horror and sci-fi has always been what's driven the, the medium forward. Like, even if you go back to the Universal Monster movies and what they did for special effects and film at that time, you know, so it's always, even though people think of it as a lesser genre, it's always been a catapult for new ideas to come out of so it's great to see it in comics but yeah you got any last words you want to say about Gideon Falls before we hop up into some Savage Shores all I can say is I can't recommend this book enough and I hope in the future we can come back to discuss volume two and three because that's where I can really start to unload all my theories right yeah because it just evolves like I said it even gets a little more crazy and a little more surreal and convoluted but hey I love that stuff I'm a huge fan of surrealism so yeah we should totally maybe revisit this in a later episode right on yeah so check out the trade or on comiXology if you're listening and uh, you really can't go wrong with this book Okay, next up, we have These Savage Shores, written by Ram V, illustrated by Sumit Kumar, colored by Vittorio Astone, and lettered by Ariata 
Bidikar. Two centuries after the first European ships sailed to the Malabar coast and made landfall at Calcutta, the East India Company seeks to secure its future along a lucrative silk route. In the year 1766, an old evil now sails aboard a company ship, hoping to make a home in this newfound land. But he will soon find that the ground along the Indus is an ancient one, and with daemons and legends far older than himself. Along these savage shores, where the days are scorched and the nights are full of teeth. Hell yeah. So before I even say anything about this book, I really just have to plug the publisher Vault Comics. They've become one of my favorite publishers over the last year. They're pushing out a bunch of horror, but also sci-fi. And the quality of their books, if you get the hands on physical, are just out of this world, even on that they have these kind of full spread back and front covers. And for example, like on these Savage Shores, they have these kind of beautiful poetic summaries on the back. Um, So this is a book about colonial vampires and the East Trading Company and kind of darker monsters that may uh, live within India. And this book was highly recommended to me, but I was a bit turned off by how dense it seemed and how there was a lot of kind of cursive journal writing, given that it's in the 1700s. But once you kind of get over that bump, this book really takes you for a ride. It's a bit more straightforward than Gideon Falls and has more classic kind of monsters, but it brings everything from kind of the politics of the East Indian Trade Company, trade routes, the kind of skirmishes and battles they're trying to pursue over in India, and these kind of darker forces of these old vampires from uh, London. One of them gets excommunicated and sent over to India because he was found out to be a vampire in issue one. And what he really finds is, you know, vampires... <laughs> they're, they're not the oldest cats in town there are darker demons out there darker forces and uh they may not be all that they thought they would be and so this book kind of has it all and the art is you know pretty realistic but super detailed and really just has these lush indian kind of landscapes and jungles with the animals and really just a lot really crammed into this five issue miniseries it's one of my favorite books so really excited to discuss with you another thing that i thought was really neat is they kind of touch on something that still happens to this day and that is when like a very wealthy white person gets into trouble does something that's ethically wrong they get sent sometimes to a place where they think that the laws are a little more lax and they go there and they try to still act like they're a a big dick swinger when you know they don't know the rules of the land and they get taught a lesson quick and then all of a sudden the other wealthy white people that got rid of this kid are all now up in arms and angry about it i thought that there was a lot of things that are still relevant to today in this book which especially along that storyline which cracked me up but also the main character bishan oh dude he was so badass and when you finally see his form he's like this blue goat monster fuck dude that was so cool i was just like what the hell yeah (laughs) because basically what happens is like we said like there's a vampire he gets caught eating a girl so the the rest of the nest doesn't get in trouble they send this guy to india so he can hide out while he's there he kind of sees this very beautiful woman and thinks like oh hey look it's a snack pick the wrong damn girl because it was Bassan's girlfriend and man dude gets toe up you could tell there was some foreshadowing very good foreshadowing in the couple panels before this even happened where he kind of meets Bashan in the castle and even with this mask on it was very expressive that you knew that Bashan knew what this guy was and kind of that like they were going to have some beef I just didn't think it was going to happen as fast as it did and be as squashed as fast as it did because vampire boy had no damn chance (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was epic and uh the book is very dense but it the payoff is just there you know action gore monsters 
definitely show up. I also just love how they show the vampire clique as just being so posh and so have such like a cool fashion sense. They're these super gothic, you know, English chaps that also find their way back into the story later on. And we also have this really cool kind of vampire hunter character which I don't want to spoil much about, but it really reminded me of the Texan Ranger from East and West, where you have this kind of lone hunter who's just like out there looking for justice out there on the hunt. And so that character was really great as well. But beyond even just like the monsters and the demons and the philosophy, we just have such like a rich political landscape of all the different kind of villages and kingdoms in India and the East Indian Trading Company and like what they're trying to maneuver. And they even put in kind of like false historical documents to really enrich the universe. So this is a super dense book, but it's so worth your time. It's a slow read, but the art and the story just come together like no other book. And it's really only a book that a publisher like Vault could really support and put out. So I love it. Yeah, Vault seems to have a knack for that, especially with the really kind of nice art. I mean, not nice, I should say just beautiful art the launch i don't know if they're the launch books but they're the ones i first started paying attention to them with books like zojaquan and deep roots and this just oh my god they're some of the most beautiful books out right now this comic almost has like a frank frizetta like art style to it when the monsters are in full monster form it's almost heavy metal album cover <laughs> art <laughs> i mean it's it's just lush though and like you said the book's super dense it plays with actual history while kind of making it topical it's you know it's kind of like something like abraham lincoln vampire hunter but a little more serious and a little more on the nose with what it was trying to say yeah absolutely uh there's just one scene coming to mind i want to call out where they're in the jungle and they devote one full panel to just like a baboon's face screaming and he has kind of this like rainbow colors on his cheeks and you know he looks vicious and this monkey has nothing to do with the book or the story but the fact they devote this whole panel to it just really paints the kind of richness of the forest and uh, the kind of animals you see there and what I love the most is just this contrast of you know back in England vampires they run the show they're the elite they can control the East Indian Trading Company they can feast on women and they think they are really proud of you know how old they are and how powerful they are and I just love this idea of like going back to the old world back, you know, where Indian civilization may have even predated the ones in England. And they play on these themes that like darker philosophies, darker religions, older religions, older beasts are actually out there hunting, existing in these savage shores. And it's kind of just funny how the vampire clique just comes over to this foreign land and thinks they can run the show. And like you said, the first guy, he gets taken out way quicker than you might think as a reader. And uh, it's it's great to see how like pompous they are and how put together they appear. But in reality, you know, they're really out of their element. I'm not sure if these are actually part of Hindu belief systems, but the tales that Bishan tells his girlfriend are, are wonderful. I had a lot of fun with those. They kind of mirror like Lucifer getting thrown out of heaven type stories but kind of more superhero-estic. I really like East, Eastern religions, especially like Buddhism and Hinduism. I, I try to check it out as much as I can, but I really enjoyed the inclusion of his odd, fabulized version of his origin that he would tell his loved one. I thought that, that was a nice touch that Ram threw in there. Yeah, it's very poetic kind of elements here, and I hope that they're based on real beliefs. I know that that is where the writer Ram V uh, may be from, and he's a very seasoned writer. He's been at it for a long time, but this book has kind of put him on the map. He's now uh, writing Justice League Dark for DC and saw he's also doing a miniseries uh, on Thor for Marvel. So it's kind of great that this kind of such a high quality book can, you know, put these writers who's been at it for such a long time into, you know, 
a bit more positions where their books might get more exposure. I like this book so much when I go to my local Barnes and Noble, I uh, find it on the shelves and I put it on the featured rack just uh, to feature it myself. I, I, I really, I, I just, because like this was recommended to me so highly and that I ignored it for far too long that once I read it, I, w- I was like, this is, you know, while Gideon Falls is surreal and really pushing the boundaries of comic books, this is uh, also pushing the boundaries in another way because it's almost as dense as a book, but also as action-packed as a movie and, you know, builds such a full world in just five issues that it's impressive for me. Yeah, that and it also deals with real history, which is neat. And a lot of comics don't do that. A lot of comics like to make up their own history history which this book i mean like i'm not gonna say it's like historically accurate or anything but it definitely uses some realistic tropes of what the east indian trading company was up to and the way that they'd kind of bilk kingdoms into being part of their routes that alone was worth the read for me you don't even need the monsters it's just so unique to get this kind of historically set semi-accurate but even if it's not historically accurate it's you know a period piece in a period that I have very little exposure to, and I think all of us don't really have much exposure to uh, what it was like in India as an English colony in the 1700s. So, you know, I could read a book just about that, <laughs> personally. Totally. Like, if they just they'd have to put a little action in there, but yeah, that would be cool. Maybe throw a lot more story towards the young prince and the other kingdom that he's warring with. That could have probably filled it out to where it could have been a, just as action-packed as, say, the monsters fighting, if they wanted to do a, a non-fiction version. There's a book coming out from Vault called The Hundred Wolves, and I think it's more realistic in the sense that there's no um, supernatural elements, but it's also set around this time period in the Ottoman Empire and kind of wars that happened there. And this warrior, it's not out yet, and we know comics are on hold, but it looks like these historically-based books are something Vault may continue to pursue, so we're in luck as readers. Sweet. The Ottoman Empire, so it's going to be kind of Alexander the Great time. That's that's going to be a neat thing to kind of jump into. Hell yeah. Hopefully pe- get people quit talking about 300 so much. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I got the empire correct, but in any case, it's historical and action-packed. I love history. It was like my favorite in high school. It was kind of the only subject I really paid attention to, so that that's good news for me. And like you said, Vault is on fire. The Wassel brothers are two of the coolest CEOs of any comic company ever. They will legitimately chill and talk with fans. Like, even if you're not a highfalutin, real life, you know, have your own blog reviewer like I am, they will send you free stuff. Like, Adrian has sent me so much free stuff, it's not even funny. So I have nothing but undying love for Vault. And yeah, I buy their stuff whenever I, it's possible and whenever I can, because I've never been let down. I've read quite a few of their stuff and all of it ends up just so good but these savage shores is definitely in the top three vault books i've read along with zojaquan and resonant definitely i can also add uh, while adrian and damien are super awesome leaders of vault adrian actually is a character in this book uh, later on one of the vampires you meet maybe you didn't catch it his name is actually adrian and the artist based it off him so on twitter adrian's twitter profile is actually himself as a vampire <laughs> That's dope. That is so cool. Also, I think that Ram V kind of gave a little wink and a nod to Dan Waters' Deep Roots, which is another vault book, because Bashan, in one of his tales where he's talking to his girlfriend, they're talking about the old tree, and he's talking about the history that might be written on the rings of a tree, which is kind of the whole theme for the Dan Waters book, Deep Roots. So I think there might have been quite a few kind of winks and nods to other vault people and, and projects in this book, which which is kind of cool, you know what I mean? Like homies throwing each other 
a little bit of support subliminally. That That's dope. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I asked them recently in an AMA if there were any plans to have a Balt shared universe, and they just replied, shh, with a wink face. So, you know, maybe these books will, in retrospect, connect more than we think. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, especially because I like the Guardian from Deep Roots so much. If he was to hang out with Bashan, they would just fuck so much shit up, man. It wouldn't even be funny. Yeah, but I think it's just a testament to this book how the characters are so um, enticing and so rich visually and just have so much of like a poetic characterization that it, it would be a shame if we don't get to see them in another publication again. And I think that just kind of speaks to what kind of quality goes into this book, how much thought went into it, and how it just leaves you wanting more. I know for me, once you get the showdown at the end, I, I was hoping that was only round one. And to tell you the truth, I have a new favorite monster. Like, if I could be any creature in the world, I want to be a giant blue goat god that fucks things up. Like, that is probably one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Like, when I they finally showed him in, what was it, issue two, I was just like, damn, that is so cool. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I guess I'm easily pleased, but I really, really just enjoyed the monster design for Bishan. I thought he was just one of the most badass things I've ever seen. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this book just great a job on art monster design, not just having it be, you know, monsters duking it out, but just setting it in such a rich context with the history, the writing, and uh, you just really feel where all these characters are coming from, even if they're the bad guy. So, I mean, super grateful we could pick such high-quality books to be able to discuss on this podcast. Oh, that's what we aim to do man this is all about trying to help people find their next favorite comic there are so many shows where people talk about you know the the big popular big two books and that's fine if that's what you're into that's cool but if you're looking for something under the radar that might challenge you might even scare you then this is the show for you because we're gonna really try to get into the underground and show you all the things that are possible and nalo is rocking like I am, so me and him are probably going to be doing some super indie reviews in the future. Uh, do you have any last words you'd like to say about these Savage Swords before we wrap up, Nalo? Uh, I pretty much said what I had to say, but all I can say is I was rereading it uh, to prepare for this podcast and just how dense it is. You know, you're really getting the value for your money here. This is a book that you could probably read five times over and still pick up on things you missed. And uh, I just encourage you to check it out. You can't really go wrong with Gideon Falls or the Savage Shores. Yeah, just buy these books. Nalo says it best. Just <laughs> buy them. Go out and get them right now because you're you're stuck at home. You got nothing better to do. And these will at least really help you with some escapism. They will really get you outside of your own head. But yeah, that was Nerds from the Underground. I am really happy to have Nalo as a new co-host. I'm Johnny. You can find me on Twitter at JohnnyAlpha81 and on YouTube at Graphic Vandalism. Where can they find you at, Nalo? My Twitter handle is uh, ZurNR probably hard to find it's a callback to uh, grant morrison's batman run uh but hopefully in the show description we can link that for you guys if you want to follow me yeah i'll have you tagged in the in the description for this episode and yeah we don't hate if you trade weight we out aloha peace